All right, guys. So it's fall again, and I know we're just a few months away from Creogs. Nick, I'm always looking for places to find good information to make sure that my residents have good information for their exams. And also, you know, I continue to refresh my knowledge of OBGYN. Well, yeah. I mean, you're already listening to what I'll say in my humble opinion is the best podcast in OBGYN, but we also (laughs) have some great other resources available through the resident core curriculum with our friends at the OBG project. Definitely. The nice thing about the OBG project is that not only do they have the resident core, they have an OBG L&D ebook and other things like the second trimester ultrasound atlas, all of which you can access for free as a resident if you sign up. Head over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and again, get the OBG project and all their resources free for all four years of residency. Just, again, head over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com, and get signed up. All right, guys. Welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is... Creogs over over coffee. coffee. All right. So we're going to jump back into a little bit of primary care today um, and a topic that we somehow haven't touched on, Faye, but has had some changes since we were thinking about it last as residents, I think, in colorectal cancer screening, um, specifically talking about it for the OBGYN today. So what are our learning objectives? Yeah. So first we're going to talk about, you know, why do we care? So we're going to review the disease and mortality burden of colorectal cancer in the U.S. We're going to become aware of some of the risk factors for colorectal cancer. And then we're going to discuss various options for screening strategies, their timing, um, and relative advantages and disadvantages in terms of those screening strategies. So I feel like, you know, colorectal cancer and screening is the one that's changed quite a bit since we were in medical school and residency, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um so it's, I feel like I sometimes don't always think about this because now that I'm, you know, an MFM fellow, most of my patients come to me pregnant and, you know, it's not really the time for colorectal screening. <laughs> um, but given that OBGYNs do have that one foot in the world of primary care, because a lot of times, you know, we're the only doctor that some of our patients are seeing, you know, we thought that we would review these recently updated USPSTF guidelines from May of 2021, um, which have been endorsed by ACOG. Let's start off with the question we always start off with, Nick, which is, well, why do we care about colorectal screening? Yeah. You know, colorectal cancer, I didn't know before doing the script for the podcast, Faye, but actually is the third leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. for men and for women. Um, And that amounts to almost 53,000 deaths per year, um, or that's from the 2021 figure for the United States. It's most frequently diagnosed, as you mentioned, among older folks, age 65 to 74, but surprisingly enough, 10% of cases of colon cancer occur in persons under the age of 50, and there was a noted 15% increase in incidence of colorectal cancer in persons aged 40 to 49 between the years 2000 and 2016. Um, So younger people are starting to get colon cancer more and more frequently, or we're seeing it more and more frequently. Mm -hmm. The other kind of interesting thing about colorectal cancer screening and why the OBGYN needs to know is that there are a lot of adults who actually are eligible for screening but not getting it. So 26% of eligible adults have never been screened, and 31% of adults are not up to date with screening based on some 2018 numbers. So again, if you're seeing the patient in this age range, sort of, you know, their 40s, their 50s, and they haven't started 
because you're going to be talking to them about mammograms, you're still going to be talking about pap smears, it may just be that this becomes the cancer screening visit. If yeah. You will. So I guess we should dive a little bit more into population, Faye. Who are we talking about? Who is most at risk? Yeah. So in particular, the USPSTF recommendations are limited to these average risk populations, quote unquote. So that means we're not talking about those patients that have specific genetic syndromes that put them at higher risk for colon cancer. So think, you know, your Lynch syndrome, familial adenomatous polyposis. Um, we're not talking about people with inflammatory bowel disease or people who have personal history of colorectal cancer or adenomatous polyps. So just, you know, kind of take those people out of the equation just for sure. a second. Um, we do know that age is one of the most important risk factors, as you mentioned, Nick. Um, it tends to affect patients who are older. Um, colorectal cancer screening, particularly in average risk adults age 50 to 75, has significant benefits. Um, and in adults over the age of 45, there's also likely has mo at least moderate net benefit. And after the age of 75, the benefit of screening is lessened, but there may still be some for folks who have never been screened. So really, the current recommendation is that all adults age 45 or older should be offered colorectal cancer screening. Also, we know that the rates of colorectal cancer are higher in black adults as well as native adults, and this likely reflects complex issues in health disparities and access to screening, which was previously procedural and only colonoscopy or flex-sig-based. And the USPSTF does mention that this health disparity is not rooted in genetic differences, and we appreciate that recognition that race does not equal genetics and some evidence to back it up. Um, other just additional risk factors that we should mention that put you at higher risk for colorectal cancer are things like family history, even in the absence of genetic syndromes, obesity, diabetes, smoking, and also um, quote unquote unhealthy alcohol use. All right. So now that we've talked about kind of who should be screened and at what time, Nick, what are some of the tests that are available for screening and how do they work? Yeah. So this kind of breaks down into two broad categories of testing. One that are stool-based tests, or you could call them essentially non-invasive tests, and the other that are direct visualization tests, um, or kind of otherwise termed more invasive tests, if you will. So let's start off, though, with those stool-based tests. So there are three to talk about. There are the high-sensitivity guaiac fecal occult blood tests, or GFOBT, if that's a mouthful. A lot of people just call that a guaiac test, too. Um, then there's fecal immunochemical tests, or FIT tests. And then there's finally a newer one that's on the market called a stool DNA test. Now, GFOBT, guaiac, and FIT detect blood in the stool. They do it in two different ways, though. The guaiac test is a chemical test, so looks for stool or looks for blood in the stool rather through a chemical reaction, while FIT tests use antibodies to detect blood in the stool. Then the stool DNA test on the market looks for certain DNA signatures of cancer as well as including a FIT component. So it's actually, if you look at the acronym for it, it's actually a stool DNA FIT test, so kind of the combination of those two things. If your patient decides that they want to use one of these tests for screening, it's recommended that you either use a guaiac or FIT test annually, or you do the stool DNA FIT combo test every one to three years. The FIT test and the stool DNA FIT test done on an annual basis provides an overall greater benefit than doing it on an every three-year schedule. 
But the stool DNA test, if done annually, actually leads to more colonoscopies without clear evidence of benefit. So the range of that last one, the stool DNA fit test every one to three years, is provided to basically help balance those two things of potentially performing an extra colonoscopy when not indicated, um, but then also noting that the annual does seem to provide some good amount of benefit, particularly if it's a fit alone. Guaiac tests have lower sensitivity overall to detect colorectal cancer and advanced adenomas. Um, so that's another thing to consider in selection of your test. Positive results on any of these three tests, though, are followed up with colonoscopy. So you're going to follow this up with the invasive gold standard direct test. The stool-based tests are attractive to patients. I think it's kind of obvious, but they're quick, they're non-invasive, they don't require the bowel prep, so you're not drinking, you know, two liters of go lightly or whatever it is. So, you know, the one thing that's really nice, not only is it attractive to patients for that reason, but it makes screening more available for patients overall. The Guaiac test, kind of as a caveat, does require some dietary medication restrictions, but then FIT and stool DNA tests do not require those things. The Guaiac test requires three separate bowel movement samples. FIT and stool DNA tests can be performed from one sample, which is another advantage of them. But something I didn't know, Faye, is that the stool DNA test actually requires collection of an entire bowel movement, not just a sample. So wow. <laughs> kind of interesting from that perspective. Yeah. Um, the benefits of stool-based testing, it's also important to mention, accrue with frequent repeated testing. So again, in order to really get the max benefit from this testing, you need to perform it on the regular, the annual testing or the stool DNA test, kind of doing it in that interval. Because just doing this once in a while doesn't cut it mm -hmm. um, versus doing sort of what we'll talk about next in the direct visualization tests. Yeah, so these direct visualization tests we're probably a little bit more familiar with and we've probably heard of, um, but these look inside the colon and rectum, and the options are the traditional colonoscopy, but there's also the CT colonography and the flexible sigmoidoscopy, or the flex-sig. So the flex-sig is what it sounds like. It uses a flexible scope to visualize the rectum, the sigmoid, and the descending colon, but it does not actually look specifically at the transverse or the ascending colon. The CT colonography uses x-ray images to visualize the entire colon, and colonoscopy itself uses a scope to visualize, as it's described, the entirety of the colon. So the flex-sig and CT colonography require colonoscopy as a reflex test, however, if there is an abnormality found. Um, and so it's kind of nice to highlight here that, you know, your colonoscopy is still your gold standard diagnostic test. And so therefore, with any of these other screening tests, if they're positive, you still have to reflex to that colonoscopy. Now, if one of these tests are employed, the recommended screening intervals for a flex-sig is every five years alone or every 10 years in combination with an annual FIT test. Uh, if you choose to do the CT colonography, that would be every five years, and then a colonoscopy screening every 10 years. The colonoscopy and CT colonography provide greater estimated life years gained versus just the flex SIG every five years. So these are the gold standards in screening, but again, these must be performed in a clinical setting and they require things like bowel preparation and may require sedation or anesthesia. And so as with any of these tests where the patient has to come in and receive you know, a bowel prep and receive sedation, there may be less access. So knowing all of this and after we've discussed all of this, Nick, I guess the question that we end up with is which test should I order? Because there seems to be a lot of them. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of tests. Um, and at the time of the USPSTF recommendation, I think almost shockingly in a way, I, I don't know the GI literature very well, obviously, but there are no trials comparing the effectiveness of different strategies to reduce colorectal screening or er, to reduce colorectal cancer mortality. Um, which again, like for having the number of tests here, again, I don't think an OBGYN resident listening to this is going to start a resident research project of like, let's compare, yeah. <laughs> um, no fit testing versus colonoscopy or something, but there are not really head to head trials out there. So hopefully one day we'll get something like that to be able to kind of say, okay, you know, is an annual fit test really just as good? Um, and kind of the trade-off in access versus, you know, the, the diagnostic gold standard, as you mentioned, Faye. The other thing that's important to say is that there are also relatively few studies in younger populations. Again, the USPSTF characterized the benefit of colorectal cancer screening age 45 to 50 as a moderate benefit versus age 50 and above a significant benefit. Um, I'm sure that we'll start to get more and more of these studies and screening in folks under age 50 as the incidence is noted to rise, but to be seen on that front. The, the bottom line is, I think it pretty much always is, is that it's up to you as a physician and then your patient's values and context to really decide what will get screening done in a reliable fashion to reduce their risk ultimately. Um, so again, whether that is the stool cards with the FIT test or the GUIAC test or what have you, or doing a colonoscopy every 10 years um, or anything in between, whatever gets it done on the right interval to reduce colorectal cancer mortality is the way to do it. All right. Well, I think, Faye, again, short and sweet once more today, um, but really important topic. Why don't we try and summarize? Sure. So we first started off by talking about why we care about colorectal cancer, and it's because it's the third leading cause of cancer death in the United States for both men and women. It's most frequently diagnosed in uh, older folks between the ages of 65 to 74, but there has been an increasing number of colorectal cancers that have been diagnosed in patients who are younger between the ages of 40 to 49 in the last few years. And it's also important to know that there is a good proportion of patients who are eligible for screening who have never been screened or those who are eligible for for screening but are not up to date with their screening. In terms of the population that we talk about for these risk factors, again, we're talking about an average risk population. So not folks with genetic syndromes, inflammatory bowel disease, or personal history of cancer or adenomatous polyps. Age is really the most important risk factor to take into account with colorectal cancer. Again, folks aged 50 to 75, there's a significant benefit to screening. And folks over age 45, there's at least a moderate net benefit. After age 75, the benefit is probably lessened, but is still there for folks who have never been screened. The bottom line recommendation from the USPSTF is that all adults aged 45 or older should be offered colorectal cancer screening. Rates of colorectal cancer are higher in black adults as well as in native adults, probably due to issues with health disparities and access to screening. Other risk factors include a family history of colorectal cancer, obesity, diabetes, smoking, and unhealthy alcohol use. In terms of tests that are available, the screening tests that we have include things like the GUIAC test, the FIT test, and the stool DNA test. Now, in terms of these tests for screening, the GUIAC or the FIT test should be done annually. If we decide to do the stool DNA test, um, we can do that every one to three years, where it sounds like annually they provide greater benefit than every three years, but it 
the stool DNA test annually also leads to overall more colonoscopies. The reason we like these tests are that these stool-based tests are quick, non-invasive, they don't require a bowel prep, um, you don't actually have to come into the clinic to do them, and so it makes screening much more available for patients. The benefits also, we should say, is that for these stool-based testing, they accrue with frequent repeated testing. So it's important to tell your patients that if they're going to choose this type of testing, that they are going to need to repeat it every year or every three years. For the direct visualization tests, the options are colonoscopy, CT colonography, and flexible sigmoidoscopy, or FlexSig. FlexSig can be done every five years alone or every 10 years in combination with an annual FIT test. CT colonography can be performed every five years, and colonoscopy screening can be done every 10 years. The colonoscopy and CT colonography strategies provide a greater estimated life years gained versus the FlexSig strategy every five years. Again, these are the gold standard in screening because they visualize the colon directly, but there may be access issues because they need to be performed in a clinical setting, they require bowel prep, and may require sedation or anesthesia. So talking to your patients about sort of the benefits and risks of these things to choose whatever is going to get screening done reliably is the most important thing. So ultimately, in terms of what tests we should order, this is really going to be up to you and what your patients' values and preferences are, um, because right now there are unfortunately no high-quality trials comparing the effectiveness of each of these different strategies, um, and also there's relatively few studies overall in younger populations. All right. Well, I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoy this episode, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Craig's Over Coffee One, on Facebook and Instagram at Craig's Over Coffee, or if you love the show, head over to patreon.com slash Craig's Over Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. You can find show notes for this show and all of our other episodes, as well as the Rosh View question of the week on our website, www.craigsovercoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this, or any of our prior episodes, or just want to say hello, email us, craigsovercoffee at gmail.com.